Hi, thanks for listening to Extreme Encounter Ministries podcast. We pray that you are blessed and challenged through this time and through this teaching. God bless you, and thanks again for listening. Listen, because God is good, guess what? That makes you good. (laughs) It does. Because God is good, that makes you good. Because you are now the righteousness of God in Christ, unless I'm reading scripture wrong. You know, that's what that's why in spite of misconduct, for lack of better words, Paul could write to the church in Corinth and still call them saints because of their identity, because of the cross. What Adam tainted, Christ sainted. (laughs) Thank God for that. Thank God that we get to be brand new. Thank God that old things have passed away. Listen, you don't pray that into existence. God, old things pass away, old things pass away, old things pass away. No, old things pass away because you've been crucified with Christ. And so the outside is what now affects you. You now have a new heart. And it's so important to understand that because... And, and we've heard scriptures, and scriptures tell us, and Jeremiah talks about how the heart is deceitful above all things, doesn't it? Have you read that? And then it says, who can understand this heart that's deceitful above all things? That's a problem. Would you not consider a deceitful heart a problem? God never presents a problem without a solution. So as we read in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful among, above all things. And so we are taught that and we've been taught that wrongly. Because we're taught, with, because I went through life, oh my heart is deceitful, my heart is so deceitful. I can't trust myself. I can't trust my feelings. I can't trust myself because my heart is deceitful. And that is what Jeremiah tells us. And then we read actually in the New Testament where Jesus himself said what? Out of the heart flows what? Issues of life. But it says all bitter and it says all these things come out of the heart. But you have to understand that Jeremiah as well as when Jesus was teaching, that was pre-cross. It was before Jesus did what he did. So, so we've got to understand that according to what's happened in our hearts and in our lives. Well, let, let's just look at this real quick. Ezekiel. Here, here we see prophetically speaking of what was to take place concerning the cross. Ezekiel chapter 11. Look at this. There's actually a lot in Ezekiel, but for the sake of time, we're going to jump down. I wanted to read a lot of the beginning of this because it's so prophetic speaking of what the cross would produce and what God would bring to our lives. He says, then, say then, then is when you receive the atoning power of the cross. Then is the answer for Jeremiah that says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand that? So this is God's prophetic response to the deceitful, sinful heart. This is what he says. Then I will give them one heart 
and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that feels, a heart that moves, a heart that beats, a heart that's able to respond to this amazing, wonderful, good God. I will put that kind of a heart in them. So no longer after the cross should it be taught that your heart is deceitful because it's not. You have a new heart. It's important to understand that because we go, we always view inward. We go, there's something wrong in here. There's something wrong in here. And I get it. When we become, I believe with all of my heart that as Christians, we become born again. There are still things sometimes that we need to be set free from. I believe Holy Spirit moves in. Other things move out. I also believe from that point forward there are oppressive things that can attach themselves, but I believe that they're from the outside. And so when you understand that you have a pure heart, not because of your actions, but because it's brand new and Jesus put it in there. No longer a deceitful heart. No longer what's wrong with me. No longer what's wrong with me, but now what's right with me. And so when I meditate on what's right with me, my actions follow. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As the heart thinks or the mind thinks, so I go. That's the direction I go. So I think according to this new heart that's in me. We understand this because Jesus did what? He came to heal the Jeremiah 17 heart. It says that he came to mend the brokenhearted. That's not just talking about you being sad and depressed, although he wants to heal that. He's talking about the broken condition of the heart of man, the Jeremiah condition that the heart is deceitful among all things, the condition that Jesus said that all this ugliness flows out of the heart. Jesus came to mend that broken heart. Isn't that good? Make new. Actually, if you have a concordance and you look at the Greek uh, word for mend there, it, it's, it denotes making new. He makes it brand new. The goodness of a life transformed by Christ, a life redeemed, a, a life rescued, is not a life that's been broken. And a picture of it is there's bandages over the scars and the broken parts. But God makes brand new. You were not a people, but now are the people of God because of the work of the cross. It's so important today that people understand their importance and their value. And the way that they will understand their importance and their value, guess what? Is when Holy Spirit tells them and when the church tells them. I unfortunately, when I was on Facebook, I looked at a, um, 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 I looked at a YouTube video that was from the Westboro Baptist Church, and I, I wish I hadn't because every time I look at stuff like that, it just angers me so much, and because they've just got it so wrong. Um, you know who Westboro Baptist Church is, right? Because God values you. You are precious to God. You are purposed by God. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, God is not mad at humanity. 
And until we recognize that he's not mad, but there is a gap before the cross and the blood is applied to our lives. There is distance, there is separation, but he still loves you. Hell is not fire. Hell is separation from God, from love. People need to understand their importance and their value. And it's so important that we as believers are releasing that in people's lives. That people understand who they are. People understand how much God loves them. Yes? Amen? Because he loves you. A new heart. Galatians 5, look at this. I'll give you time to click there. <laughs> click there. Do you see what I did? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm edgy. Galatians 5. Some of the older people are like, click there? What's that boy talking about? None of you talk like that. Wow, I just keep taking a whole day for Galatians chapter 5. Okay, so where, where does, when we understand, and the importance of understanding that our hearts are made new, that it's no longer that deceitful heart, where do our passions and our desires come from? They come from the heart. They come from the heart. The heart of, of who we are is where our passions and where our desires come from. We have to understand the newness of heart in, un to, in order to understand that you've been made free by the cross. And we want to solidify that freedom, produce more freedom. We want you to walk in absolute freedom that's been purchased for you on the cross. And so to understand that we have a brand new heart, look at what it says here. In verse uh, 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with what? Its passions and its desires. The old passions and desires were crucified when you received Christ. Now it's no longer go, boy, I still have this inside. I still have these desires in me. It's desires from the outside trying to come in and attack the inside. You have a new heart or you don't. When you receive Christ, either your heart is new or it isn't. It's not like it's new one day and the next day when you're struggling with something. Boy, I thought I had... No, you still have a new heart. There's an outside source trying to attack you. And that outside source has absolutely no authority over you and I whatsoever except that which we give it. The devil has no authority unless you allow him. None. You do not have to be depressed. You do not have to be addicted. You do not have to have strongholds in your life. Thank God for that. So important to know how precious you are. I'm looking for the paper that I printed out. Like, I have all these notes. How much do you think? probably won't get to any of these. You've got to understand. To understand the heart is new. To understand is we've talked about this and at times I feel like it's a broken record except in my personal time. It's never a broken record when the Holy Spirit is reminding me of these beautiful 
beautiful things that have taken place because of the cross. A lot of times when I say, I'm like, here I go again. But you got to understand that hearing this over and over is such an important thing because you got to get this. you got to understand. Don't be offended by what I'm about to say and understand that I do love you. Some of the most um, sincere, dedicated believers that I know still find their identity in the works that they perform. They still continue to find their identity in what they can do rather than who they are. Some find their identity. These are all good, noble things, see. These are all good, noble things that we do as far as God's kingdom is concerned. But these good, noble things should not be our identity. Some find their identity in being street healers. Word of knowledge dispensers. (laughs) Vanquishers of headaches or those who can make limbs grow out, which is a good thing. Others find their identity in being, uh, and we hear this so much today, but grace people. Their whole identity becomes wrapped up in being something of an anti-establishment grace hippie. And they tend to disparage anything that's mainline or traditional, it can even regularly be found mocking other uh, segments, if you will, of Christ's body that see things differently than they are. Grace is truth. Healing is truth. Still others find their identity in being a type of grace police. They patrol about making sure that the grace folks aren't taking God's goodness too far. And that they're still preaching hell in the midst of preaching hope. Their aim is to make sure that everyone stays as spiritually healthy and balanced as they are. And in this they find their identity. Needless to say, the body of Christ is a colorful bunch of people. And I've barely scratched the surface You know, concerning the things that we believe that or that we've allowed to define us. However, I want to remind you, your identity is not found in these one grace is amazing and wonderful. You are intended to heal people. God wants to give you words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Your identity is found in one place and in one place only. You are in Christ. That is who you are. Never forget. Never forget. You are not primarily a healer or a prophet or a a discerner of spirits or a, a rebel with the cause. You are a son. You are a daughter. And from this, everything should flow. Our identity is not found in our calling, but our identity produces our calling with fruit. Anytime that you and I stray outside of the borders, if you will, of sonship, believing yourself to be your spiritual hobby, you are tiptoeing towards, people have called it a slippery slope. Keep your identity as son 
Keep your identity as daughter, your position in God's family, and your union with Christ at the forefront of all you say and do. Understand your identity first. Let sonship define you. That if you never, never, ever, ever experience one more spiritual thing, you're settled in the fact that you are a son who's loved by daddy. You are a daughter who's adored by your heavenly father. Let yourself rest in the fact of your identity as sons and daughters that you are accepted. And and scripture tells us that we are no longer slaves but sons. We've been brought in. And that means that we're heirs. We're co-heirs with Christ because of sonship. That everything that God has and is, is now at residence inside of me. All of the fullness of God is right here inside of me. Not because I've earned it or I've been a good boy. Because by most people's standards, I haven't been a good boy. But because of what Christ has done, the fullness of God resides in me. And he's deemed me qualified to carry this amazing thing called purpose. He's qualified me to carry this amazing thing called God's kingdom. And that's the same way that you are qualified today. You are a son and you are a daughter and you are nothing less. Do not sell yourself short. The moment, not that you, that you walk away from who you are, but that you forget who you are, is the moment that you are rendered ineffective for God's kingdom. It's the moment that suddenly you feel that depression that you never used to feel. It's when you suddenly feel like, oh my God, maybe I am a sinner. Maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not free. Is when you lose sight and forget who you are. That's why scripture likens it to a mirror. We look in that mirror, the wonderful mirror, the law of liberty, I might add, and it tells us what we look like. But how quickly do we walk away and forget what we look like? And so when we do that, there's still the law of sowing and reaping, and we do things that produce ugly things in our life. When we forget who we are, we do things that we shouldn't do. And it produces stupid stuff. It's like the the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son and the emphasis I get it is that road the where they connected on the dirt road is really the picture of the prodigal son. And we kind of breeze over the prodigal living and the other son who was jealous of the condition of the first son. But we have to look at that in order to understand sonship. In order to understand truly who we are, we have to maybe examine that story a little closer. Because the first son, if you remember, he said, I want my inheritance. He went to make a long story short. He began to live riotous or, or it, the scripture calls it prodigal living. He was still the son, but he was living prodigal, riotous living. Scripture says, in the middle of the pigs, eating with the pigs, smelling like the pigs, sleeping with the pigs, it says he came to himself. He didn't come to himself when he got to the end of the road and reconnected with daddy. He came to himself in the middle of the pigs. 
Scripture says when he realized, like looking into the mirror, who he was, he said, if I can just go home and be a servant, remember? Boy, he didn't understand daddy at all, did he? You know the story. Just love that story. Daddy's standing at the end of the road. And here comes the son running, and Daddy sprinted to meet him. And when you read this, it's an uncomfortable picture. It's one of those pictures that you would probably want to look away and go, okay, they're having a private moment. Because it wasn't just a kiss on the cheek. When we, we read the context in the Greek understanding of what Jesus was telling us in this parable. Daddy grabbed a hold of his son and didn't stop. He was so excited that his son came to himself and understood who he was that he repeatedly kissed. I mean, it was a sloppy, wet kiss. It had to be. Uncomfortable. And he brought the robe and the ring. And he said, he said to kill the fatted calf. Because my son was dead. Still my son, but he was dead. But now he's alive. And then jealousy ensued with the other son, remember? And the response was, you've had this all along. You lived within, under this wonderful um, um, umbrella of grace the whole time. You had it. You had the fullness. This all could have been yours. You could have been partaking of the fatted calf and the robe and the ring. But you didn't see yourself the way that daddy saw you. Sonship is so important for us to understand. So important to know how precious you are. Galatians chapter 4. I'll close with this. Verse 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the appointed time by the father. Orphanages are filled with children that aren't really sons. Orphanages are filled with children that aren't really daughters. <laughs> Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And anyone who's ever adopted that's a good parent will say, there is much my child as the one that I gave birth to. Adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has set forth his spirit of his son into your what? Hearts. This brand new hearts. The spirit of his son is in your hearts. So we don't cry for Jesus out here somewhere. Old Testament says we look under the hills from where our help comes from. We don't look there anymore. We look here. 
It's not like he's just a little bit closer. It's not like the veil was just torn and now it's closer. No, he makes his abode in me. How? I sounded like Janet just then. How? (laughs) And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Daddy, God. Wow. The song, that song, Abba, by John Bershkeber. What's his last name? I don't know. John what? Thank you. Jonathan David, House of Blah Blah Blah. <laughs> that song, Abba. And there's a version of it where he quotes from Brennan Manning, a book by Brennan Manning, concerning the love of God and the heart of the Father towards his children. And he says that we find that place of intimacy with God. We find that place of just aloneness with God. You can be alone with God in a room filled with people. But just that place of aloneness with God, that we inhale Abba and we exhale, I belong to you. And in that time, in that place of intimacy with God, through revelation that I'm a son, that I'm no longer a slave, that I'm a son. Not just a son, but Daddy's given me everything that's His. And those things that he gives me do not define me. But he gives me those things because I'm a son. And that's what defines me. We have the best dad in the whole world. Wow. See, in order for those relationships that you've been stressing out to be restored and to be mended and to be whole, you've got to understand and return that the heart of the son is returned to the father this way first. If you really want restoration in your relationships, understand who you are, that you are a son and you are a daughter and you are dearly loved by daddy God. Do you know what freedom is for the liar? Do you know what freedom is for the homosexual? Do you know what freedom is for the oppressed and the depressed? Do you know what freedom is for the addicted? Do you know what freedom is for the adulterer and the idolater and all those things that we once were? Do you know what freedom is? Understanding sonship. Understanding that you've been brought in. You are accepted by Daddy God. And when that begins to define us, those things that once defined us begin to dissipate. And they're only faded memories. And oh yeah, that, that is what I was. Oh yeah, I did walk that way. And oh yeah, that was my desire. But now I'm a son. And my desires have come into alignment with Daddy. Daddy. 
because now his blood flows through my veins. No longer genetic determinism. Mama did it, daddy did it, so I got to do it. And we just settle for that. It's now in Christ determinism. Now it's I'm in love with God and God's in love with me. This is who I am and this is who I'll be. Let it settle completely in your hearts. You are sons and daughters of an amazing God who loves you. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. We pray the Holy Spirit has ministered to your heart. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our ministry, visit us at extremeencounter.org.